many times have you heard a movie is all right? It's average. It's just okay. You ask your friends if you should watch it, and they say, meh. I'm Davey Barris, and he's Darren Cross. And on this show, we'll break down and review these movies and decide once and for all if these meh movies are good or bad, and whether or not you should watch them. Because on this show, there are no meh movies. Now for a movie to qualify as meh, it must be between 40 and 60 on the tomato meter or 4 and 6 on IMDb. And the movie we chose this week in honor of Raya and the Last Dragon coming out on in theaters, if you can actually go to a theater, and on Disney+. Plus, You can watch it there on Disney+. Plus. We had to find a dragon movie. And we went back to apparently the favorite year of season three, 1996, to do Dragonheart, which scores a 50% on Rotten Tomatoes. It's a perfect meh movie and a 6.5 on IMDb. Spoiler warning for Dragonheart. Spoiler warning. We are going to be talking the whole movie on this podcast. And we'll mention some of the sequels, but probably won't spoil them because we haven't watched them we just watched Dragonheart so Darren in case it's been a while since they've seen it or they've never seen it before what is Dragonheart all about uh Dragonheart stars Dennis Quaid as Bowen who is a knight I guess we could say and it's approximately what is it nine nine forty eight AD something like that you know better than me it said it said a year there was a year stated at some point um any case a long time ago. And uh, in the beginning of the movie, a uh, tyrannical king's son is gravely wounded. And they make a deal with Draco the dragon, who is, you know, voiced by none other than Sean Connery. Um, essentially, Sean Connery Draco saves the young man's life, but it they are bound from that point forward, um, essentially, if one of them gets hurt, the other one gets hurt. If one of them dies, the other one dies, et cetera, et cetera. Um, we move ahead, and not surprisingly, the son has also become a tyrannical king, and uh, Bowen is still around, and he teams up with the dragon to make some money, but they end up developing much more than that. And shenanigans ensue. And shenanigans ensue. <laughs> I mean... There's some shenanigans in this movie. We'll get into it. There are. It's true. All right, Darren. Uh, yeah, it's it's quite a plot here. Quite a plot. Uh, I think the original pitch for the movie from uh, the original writer. Now, there is some backstory to this. My God, is there a lot of backstory. But Patrick Reed Johnson, who originally basically came up with the idea, just wanted, a, just wanted the idea of an old bum knight in The Last Dragon and the last real knight in the world going around the countryside scamming villagers for money. <laughs> like that was the that was the original kind of idea behind this. So it was just supposed to be about these two, the last of their kind, uh, and it turned into this whole thing with villainous kings and revolting villagers. All right, Darren, uh, after that beautiful synopsis, our first question we ask of our meh movies is, did the movie do what it was supposed to do. And this one is listed as a fantasy action adventure film. Do you think it did what it was supposed to do? I said yes. 
for this this week. Um, I would have liked more fantasy. I know that sounds weird, but re- really the only fantasy is, I guess we see two dragons, right? We do see yes. one other dragon besides Draco earlier in the movie. So I would have liked some more fantasy. If we if we got dragons, why not other creatures of, of fantasy, you know? Just why, why not sprinkle them in there? Um, but yeah, I actually thought it was a, it was a decent action adventure movie. There was, there was a lot of action and I'll, I'll say more about that when we get to successes and failures, but, um, and then, well, also when we talk about themes, but, uh, yeah, I think, I think overall I would say this movie did do what it was supposed to do for me. I would agree that the movie did do what it was supposed to do and it had that uh, knights and battles and valor and you know standing up to kings and war and it had dragons and fire and I mean it, it didn't just it didn't they were originally going to do the dragon uh, as a Jim Henson creation um, and then when they saw what Jurassic Park did they stopped the the work with Jim Henson and moved to I, uh, ILM Industrial Light and Magic uh, and they so so everything was digital from that point forward. So, uh, but it they did. I mean, they made a dragon come to life. They made it bring breathe fire and fight knights and fight in a war. Like they brought that dragon to life. So, yeah, I will say that this movie did what it was supposed to do. All right, Darren, time to get into our top performers. Let's talk a little bit about this cast. We have, uh, it's actually a pretty small cast as far as starring roles go. There's plenty of uncredited or very small parts for people. But the main cast here, we have Dennis Quaid. That's right, Dennis Quaid as our heroic knight Bowen. Sean Connery voicing Draco the dragon. David Thewlis as our evil king, Aenon. Aenon? Aenon. 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 Pete Postal Waith as Brother Gilbert. Jason Isaacs as Lord Felton. Julie Christie as Queen Iceland. Dina Meyer as Kara. And uh, I'll throw in here, Brian Thompson is someone you might recognize as Brock. He's been in a, been in a few things. Played a few yeah. villainous roles as, yeah. as Brian Thompson. So, Darren, with that whole cast, who do you got as your top performer who brought it in Dragonheart? I ended up going with David Thulis. Interesting. Is that that how we say it? Thulis? Thulis. I believe it's David Thulis. As um, Einan. I I didn't, yeah. So I did did not like young Einan. I don't even know if the actor who played him is credited. It's in there. It's in there if you look on the IMDb. Yeah. Yeah. But um, but yeah, our, our, our adult king Einan. I thought I thought he did a good job. I thought he was convincingly evil or cold-hearted or whatever you want to call it. Um he yeah, it, and it wasn't quite clear about like if it was all him or if he was like somehow like damned from what happened with the dragon and being healed and all that stuff. Like they didn't totally dive into that too much, but um but yeah, I thought I was I was convinced by, you know, he's not as and I could never name the actor, but 
you know, he's not as like terrible as whoever plays the king in uh, uh, Braveheart. I have no okay. idea who that who the actor. <laughs> I have no idea who the actor, but you know, he's he is evil, right? But but I I got some senses of that here and there, and that, that I guess that was kind of my benchmark when I was like, because this movie has a similar feel as far as you know fighting against tyranny and all that jazz. Um, so he was kind of like with a benchmark I compared it to, and I thought. I thought he was pretty good. He was a pretty convincing evil king. And uh, I thought the acting overall was was good. And so he got my choice this week. Uh, the young Ainan was played by Lee Oaks. Lee Oaks. Director Lee Oaks. <laughs> Director Rob Cohen says that he cast David Thewlis based on his performance in the movie Naked. And he said, what makes a villain scary is the brain, not the brawn. That's why he cast David Thewlis. You will recognize he's, he's a very skinny guy. <laughs> yeah. You will recognize a few of these actors, including David Thewlis, who went on to be in Harry Potter movies. Uh, Jason Isaacs being the other big one. Uh, you, you almost could not be a British actor and not uh, be in a Harry Potter movie. So uh, that's where most people will recognize <laughs> these faces from. Every so, single British actor somehow I mean, made it into Harry Potter. <laughs> pretty much. I mean. <laughs> so I'm going to go with my top performer. I'm actually going to go with Dina Meyer as Kara, the red-headed, rebellious villager who leads the, uh, leads the revolt against the king. And uh, David Thewlis was turned up a little high for me. He, he was turned up a little too much for me. We will get into Dennis Quaid. Um, I thought Dina Meyer knew what kind of movie she was in. Uh, I feel like she was the character that I could take most serious. And you may know Dina Meyer uh, from the movie Starship Troopers. She plays the the girlfriend of Rico. Um, well, that's diminishing. She plays... <laughs> Rico's rednecks. Roughnecks. <laughs> Roughnecks. Yeah, not rednecks. <laughs> Dizzy, right? Yeah, they call her Diz. Dizzy Flores, yeah. 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 They, she plays Dizzy Flores. So she's pretty hardcore in that movie, uh, running around with a machine gun. But in this, I, I felt like she kind of carried the weight of like what was actually happening with an oppressive king and uh, the fight. The, the She was probably the most honorable character in the movie. Um, yeah, could say that. Yeah, so uh, yeah, I give my top performer to Dina May- Meyer. That's fair. I think she was like uh, came across as like genuinely like disgusted or distraught or like hopeless about the situation with with the evil king, especially when they kill her father. Spoiler alert. Yeah. Nah. <laughs> yeah. So there we go. Uh, Dennis Quaid. We will. I think. I think we will tackle him in successes and failures feel yeah. like uh, that's going to come up. So uh, speaking of successes and failures, that's where we're going next with this movie. And we like to get into this category now, talking about themes, talking about the big themes that we saw in the movie and whether or not they work for us, whether we saw them as a success or a failure. So Darren, what was your big theme in this movie? Uh, my big theme was... Uh... <laughs> I kind of went back and forth with, I know they're not the same thing, but I couldn't decide if I wanted to call it tradition or valor because they kind of like 
both spilled into the movie a little bit. And so, but I think the overarching theme for me was that uh, there was, that there's, there were people that existed that believed in something greater that was more noble and those people no longer are around and they're sort of fighting for that spirit to remain. Um, the, them being Bowen and Draco. Um, so yeah, so I don't, I, I, it's kind of like a tradition, but it's the tra- maybe the tra- tradition of valor. I don't know. I don't know exactly though, but some something along those lines. Yeah, anytime you're gonna have knights, uh, medieval knights in a story, you're going to get into questions of honor and valor and virtue. So yeah, that definitely was a theme. Um, the code, the old code that Bowen lives by. Uh, which I did some research on. I'm just going to spoil trivia. That's going to be my new thing, just spoiling it all throughout. Um, <laughs> the, the Legend of King Arthur, there is a oath, but it's not the same that's in the Dragonheart movie. I believe the one in the Dragonheart movie was pretty much made just for this movie. Um, the oath from the King Arthur time was called the Pentecostal Oath, and uh, it doesn't roll off the tongue as well as the oath in the movie does. (laughs) There's a lot of like double negatives and like there's some things you should do, some things you shouldn't do in the oath. So I get why they kind of, but every knight has to have an oath, a code that they live by. So yeah, Yeah. so I get that. Definitely a big theme in the movie. So was it a success or a fail for you? I went back and forth on this a lot. I I wish there there was more that we could, we could see of it before it went went away because like really the only access we have to it is draco and bowen trying to preserve it yeah so i I wish we would have seen maybe more examples of it earlier on in the movie and then it would have felt lousier and we would we would have missed it more it would have felt worse for it to be gone because like i think they were just kind of banking on the fact that people would just be like oh well everyone knows that this is important. And so if we say it's missing, everyone will be like, oh, that's sad. It shouldn't be missing, which I mean, I think is probably true to a point, but seeing it would have been nice. Uh, yeah. All right. Fair enough. Definitely. They talk about it a lot, but you're right. Yeah. Showing it. Um, so the theme that I picked up was, I'm going to call it the inherent evil of man. Uh, basically, everybody in this movie Uh, kind of falls a little bit and shows their evil side. Um, Obviously, the king is just pure evil, and we'll get into that. Um, Actually, we'll get into it right now, because this king has everything. He has the the bad king trifecta. He has murder, rape, slavery, unfair taxes, and matricide. Spoiler warning. He kills his mother in the end. Um, so yeah, so this bad king pretty much has all the evils. Um, it's not a, that's not a trifecta. That's like a, a pe- pentafecta. Quinfecta. Uh, yeah. What's a five fecta? <laughs> <laughs> um, and even Bowen, our heroic Bowen, he falls. I mean, he becomes a swindler. He, he hunts dragons because he's so angry at the dragon for what he did to King Ionin. So he's hunting all dragons just in vengeance. So he even falls to evil. The only one who's not evil in this movie is the dragon. Draco is good. He won't fight unless he's attacked first. 
He, he says he doesn't even eat the knights. He just chews them up and spits them out. <laughs> uh, he looks at the sheep as food. So, I mean, he is a carnivore, but he doesn't look to eat man. He looks yeah. to eat sheep, yeah. you know? And the people are the ones that want to eat the dragon. They're the ones screaming meat, meat at the fallen dragon. Yeah. Um, and he thought if he shared his heart with this kid, this dying kid, that he could help man the way the dragon, the old dragons of old helped man. And he thought he could bring man back on the right path and mm -hmm. didn't realize how far fallen man was. So that's kind of the big theme. And that was a success for me. I, I definitely felt it throughout this movie. Cool. I yeah. like it. All right. Well, well said. Thank you. What else we got in successes and failures? Let's get into all of it. Do you want to go first on Dennis Quaid or do you want me to? <laughs> you, you can go first. Dennis Quaid was a fail for me. There was no reason for him to be trying to do that British accent. It was awful. It, I mean, people make fun of... Uh, Oh, what's his name? Uh, who did uh, Robin Hood for losing his accent for his accent going in and out uh, from Field of Dreams? Uh, Kevin Costner. They yeah, make fun yeah. of him, but this was this wasn't even an accent. It was a gr he growled his lines. <laughs> let's do let's do our best Bowen impression here of Bo of Dennis Quaid trying to do a British accent. Ready? What are we saying? Pick, pick a phrase. <laughs> whatever you want. You can do the old code or whatever you want. Ah, Draco. Draco, I'm going to hunt you, you dragon. Ah, I'm a <laughs> dragon hunter. <laughs> that was his British accent. I am, I am I, by the old code. It was more pirate than it was night. <laughs> I don't know. You're asking a lot to do an impersonation of someone who's doing a poor impersonation. <laughs> well, there was no, yeah, there was no, 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 no. I'm saying that's what Bowen sounded like, a pirate. There was no <laughs> need for this. There, there was no need. Apparently, uh, Liam Neeson was going to be in the role, and they didn't think Liam Neeson could carry a big budget action adventure movie, which is insane now, which is absolutely insane in 2021. Yeah. Yeah. But Liam Neeson literally had the role. Like, they were doing test screenings with him, and then they went with a bigger actor, which, I, surprisingly, there were not that many. I looked at the highest-grossing stars of the 1996 box office. Who do you think was number one at the box office in 1996? Transport yourself back. I have no idea. Come on, take a stab. Uh, what genre is it? Comedy. Comedy in 96. Dumb and Dumber? Highest grossing actor. Oh, actor. Uh, Mel Gibson? Close. He was number two. Uh, Jim Carrey. Jim Carrey. Uh, so Dumb and Dumber, uh, you're close. Jim, okay. Jim Carrey was number one by a wide margin. He had six <laughs> movies that came out that year. Uh, Mel Gibson, then John Travolta, and then Sandra Bullock is the top four. Mm. You don't... Uh, Sean Connery is the first British actor at number 27. And obviously, voicing the dragon was an, probably an iconic role for most people that grew up with this movie. Th yeah. Hear that voice and think of Draco the Dragon. Uh, Dennis Quaid turns in at 34. The 34 top grossing actor in... Uh, so still up there. So he's he's a big actor in 96. I get it. Um, the next British actor that could have done it was Pierce Brosnan at 44. 
I think he was considered. Uh, there are not many British actors on this list. I think Liam Neeson comes in at 67. And then uh, another person who I thought might have been able to pull it off was Ralph Fiennes. That would have been interesting. At 93. Sir Anthony Hopkins was 91. Oh, Anthony Hopkins might have been good. How would he have been too old was the question. Yeah. Could he, yeah. yeah. Um, so, yeah. So, I there are not a lot of British actors crushing it at the box office in 96. So, I kind of get that. But it's a total mistake not to... I, I didn't even think... Dennis Quaid was that convincing as Bowen. Like I just, I didn't. Yeah. He didn't carry the action really that well for me. It was tough because it, it was, it was like he was trying to be Mel Gibson in Braveheart, but it like didn't like he was trying to be that, that like rough and tumble, like born in the fields of Scotland or wherever the hell, <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah. It was, uh, yeah. It was tough. It was tough. Yeah. All right. So we've trashed we've trashed Dennis Quaid pretty good for this. All right. Uh, what else you got at successes and fails? I did give a success to the combat, specifically the sword fighting. So I, I think I could give a success to the to the combat in general. Like I thought the fighting was was pretty good, fairly, fairly entertaining, you know not trying to do too much with it, but good enough that it was, it seemed authentic. Um, and then I thought the sword fighting was good. So the movie starts with uh, Bowen and young um, Einan sword fighting with, if, with wooden swords. If you're right? playing at home, take a shot every time me and Darren pronounce the King's name differently. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty sure you'll be wasted by the end of the episode. At first, for those of you that are local local to Northeast Ohio, I thought he was King Heinen. <laughs> and I was and that I already sold my my uh um sequel where he go, he goes on to start a lineage of of local grocery store chains. <laughs> nice. But then I looked and saw I wasn't Heinen and that was all ruined. No, I thought that so, the sword fighting specifically and that the action in general, but definitely the sword fighting was enjoyable, like believable. I mean, not as not on par with like Princess Bride sword fighting, but uh, it was fun. Yeah, I thought I thought it was enjoyable. <laughs> I have a secret. I am not left-handed. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I actually threw in. I like the explosions. I thought yeah. the explosive work when the dragon was lighting things up with a fire. Uh, that that stuff worked. Those those effects worked. Yeah, they look good. Yeah. Um, I'm going to kind of piggyback off that success. I gave a success to the third act of the movie. Uh, I really thought that, um, first off, the villagers had a good battle plan. I liked yeah. their plan to draw the the king's army out into the woods where they kind of had the upper hand. Right. Uh, where it was really hard to fight on horseback in the woods. Um, I did enjoy the priest giving all the battle cliches that a priest forced into combat would. Uh, pride before the fall, turning the other cheek. Um, so that was that was that was good. Um, <laughs> thou, and, thou shall not. It was some something like about evil or or murder. I don't know. It was yeah. Something, yeah. <laughs> and uh, Draco having to sacrifice himself like that was a real decision that Draco had to make. And then Bowen's decision to like actually do it. He had to be the yeah. one to do it. So that I felt that. And then I just like that dragon heaven is real. 
Yeah, it is. Yeah, it's it the is. it's the sky. <laughs> um, I'm sure it's up there with uh, ogre heaven from Shrek and donkey heaven <laughs> and how many other animals have talked about the heavens and the stars. Um, so yeah, so that third act overall, I, I thought that was probably the strongest act in the movie. Yeah, I gave a a success to the the ending. So I piggyback on that that it was I, I did like the whole sacrifice thing and just the fact that Bowen had to kill his friend that he uh, his dragon friend he created a relationship with throughout the movie. Um but Donkey Heaven would be different because that's a real animal. <laughs> Dragon, he- dragon heaven and ogre heaven, you know, would fall in your mythical creature heaven. So it's different. Look, I'm just just, just so you know. <laughs> I'm trying to see where he was on the list here. Uh, I'm just going with the 36th highest grossing actor in 1996. <laughs> Eddie Murphy told me. Okay, just going. Okay, well, so I just gave a success to the uh, the third act. I'm giving a fail to the opening scene. The opening scene of this movie is pretty bad. First off, they could not have found a dweebier kid. Sorry, Lee Oaks, if you're listening to this. <laughs> he was so dweeby as the, the prince, you know, soon to be king. And then uh, it just, after Game of Thrones, it just looked so cheap. Like Especially the opening. It gets better as the movie goes on, but the opening looked so cheap it looked more like a scene from a monty python movie than uh than a, this dragon fantasy epic but would, and, it, uh, would, it, would it have looked cheap in 1996 though yes i think it would because here's the hard part here's the hard part they talk about jurassic park coming out before this jurassic park comes out in 94 yeah i'm sorry anything after 94 I'm going to hold you to the standard of Jurassic Park. I just am. Yeah. Like, yeah. you have to come close. This Everything felt everything felt very very hollow. Like, it just felt like a set. It felt like a soundstage and a set. I know they yeah. were filming in real locations, but it just, there was no depth to anything. And they didn't have that many villagers fighting. Like, the battle seemed very small. And it just, <laughs> it felt like a Monty Python movie more than it felt like this big fantasy epic, which, I mean, Game of Thrones has set the bar for, yeah. you know, yeah. how that should look. And I don't expect this to be Game of Thrones because that was many, many years later. But right, right. Um, somewhere in the middle, it would have been nice. Yeah, I, I could see that about the, yeah. I, I agree with you. Um, oh, also, also the way the, the way that young Ainin gets stabbed and almost killed, the girl Kara falls backwards and bumps into him and knocks him <laughs> into a post and it stabs him through the heart. Like that was just, it was so poorly, it, it was so poorly done. Yeah, uh, it should it should have been an an intentional wound that was inflicted to him by a villager or something like that. Or at least a better stunt that like caused yeah. an accident. I do appreciate that she was wearing a wooden bucket on her head as a helmet. It's a good <laughs> good look for a villager going into battle. Yeah, with it with an intentionally cut out hole where her face, face could go. Guts, yeah. <laughs> um, 
I gave, and I, and this, I think this mostly happened in the first part of the movie, the first third of the movie, I would say. I gave a big fail to the attempted comedy. Ah, it was not, yeah, it was not funny. Nope, and it's and it felt out of place. Um, like when he's being dragged, when uh, Bowen's being dragged through the forest, attached to the to Draco. And he like runs into a tree and he gets like leaves in his mouth and he's like, (laughs) 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 it just, they're trying to be goofy, right? And it just didn't work. And so there were other examples. That felt more like the 100th highest grossing actor of 1996, Leslie Nielsen. That felt like something he would be doing. Felt like a spy hard moment or a naked gun moment. Yeah. Uh, naked naked dragon that's oh. <laughs> your sequel Ooh, that's maybe. my sequel mm. he says, let it stew for a little bit everybody let it stew <laughs> let's see what he comes up with um yeah i wrote down uh, all the slapstick like we got we got hit in the balls we have snot jokes uh i wrote where's the fart joke i was waiting for the fart joke we never got a <laughs> fart joke um yeah the guy who originally created this and if you read uh the wikipedia entry Patrick Reed Johnson. He's not happy about how this whole thing turned out. He was originally going to direct it. And then they, uh, when they wanted to go bigger, they brought in a bigger director too. And uh, he was pretty salty about that. And uh, <laughs> he did not like the humor at all. He, he basically said like, this is, you made my movie a movie for kids. Yeah. That's yeah. what, and I'm guessing if anyone's listening to this podcast and you watch this as a kid in 1996, you might feel completely different than me and Darren are feeling right now. You might be like, Dennis Quaid is the most honorable knight of all time and his accent is perfect. <laughs> That's how British people sound in my mind. Um, and yeah, and it was weird too because it was like, because it felt a little kitty, it was an interesting, uh, op- like opposite to last week's movie with... Um, which was the Phantom in the Phantom, and we don't even know if we talked about this. No one died, right? No, nobody was inflicted a wound of death in Phantom, except at the very end. Yeah. Um, but in this movie, I was surprised because this this the slapstick stuff seemed more childish or kiddish, but they were mur- certainly murdering people. Lots of people died in this movie. Oh yeah. So I was like, ah, that's kind of weird that they're doing kind of doing both on both ends. I've been I've another fail. I don't know why they even hinted at any sort of romance between Bowen and Kara because it never went anywhere and they never hit hinted at it again. I mean, I, obviously he cared about her because he didn't, you know, at the end he didn't want King Einan to kill her and all that jazz. But there was definitely a moment when they were preparing for the battle that it seemed like some sort of spark was happening, but then it never, nothing ever happened to it. Apparently there was more and it was cut out of the movie. Is there, mm. there might be something in deleted scenes um, where he like asked for her favor before battle or something like that. So I think there was more and it just got cut out and that's mm. why you're left with that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he didn't seem to care for anybody. Really. No. <laughs> uh, he was a, yeah, he was a salty old knight. Well, speaking of the characters and just, in, in, in the way they're portrayed, um, another fail for me is that the characters 
had no nuance. There were no shades to them. They all felt uh, very flat and would change emotion on a flick of a switch. So uh, they'd go from happy to angry or they'd go from liking someone to hating someone. It just maybe it was the way Ainen would just fly off the handle and the way David Thewlis would just uh, react so violently um, that, you know, everyone in the castle, everyone in the king's army felt like that. And then Bowen was like that too. He just, there was no patience. There was no time for anything. He would just react to everything. And it just, it didn't work for me at all. The one character thing that I will say worked for me is that Bowen being a hurt father figure, that worked for me. I did feel that. Like, he definitely felt like young Einan was his ward, was his, he was the, his mentee, he was the mentor too. And uh, even though he had a king, it was Bowen who was teaching him how to be a man. And so when he turns and becomes evil, I definitely got from Bowen that like hurt father figure um, from him. That's the only depth that I got from him at all. And from most of the characters in the movie, that's the only depth or shade we get at all. That's fair. I, I will say that I did, I did feel a little bit of a connection between Draco and Bowen. Like I, I thought that that, that they did an okay job with that. And there were like subtle hints where like um, at some point when they're trying to do their little scheme and Draco disappears and then they, Oh, it's when uh, he saves Kara, that Draco saves Kara. And then they like meet back over near, near Draco's little uh, layer behind the waterfall. And like, there's this distinct line where Bowen talks about how he was like worried about him or like worried what happened to him and stuff like that. So I thought throughout the movie, I, you did feel that, that Bowen genuinely cared for Draco and was concerned about his well-being, even if they didn't do a very good job of, or Draco didn't do, or Bowen didn't do a good job of expressing it to to Draco. I still like felt it. I, I felt that he was conflicted at the end about having to kill him and that sort of thing. Yeah, that was definitely there. And it, it turns very quickly. It happens very fast. Like there's, yeah. there's, there's not yeah. much shade to it, not much building. All right, that's what I got on successes and failures. You got anything left? That's all I have. All right, then let's move into the Rotten Tomatoes reviews. Let's see what all these reviewers thought and how this ended up a perfect 50%, at least for us, <laughs> perfect 50% on Rotten Tomatoes. Um, I, I can't even tell you if you want to start fresh or rotten because I'm going to be honest with you, there are not a lot of like quotes on Rotten Tomatoes this week. Um, we, most of them are just a score mm. on Rotten Tomatoes. And, uh, and sometimes it's just a little line from Chuck O'Leary in the Fantastica Daily who just said a laughable disaster. So not much <laughs> meat on that review. So I'm just going to kind of run down and see who's got a good meaty review here. And, uh, how about legendary movie reviewer, Roger Ebert? All right. Who you may know from the Chicago Sun-Times and, uh, being on TV for many, many years. Roger Ebert says his fresh review, he gave it a fresh review. Rob Cohen's Dragonheart is one of the most sublimely silly movies I have ever seen since it combines its silliness with special effects that are quite simply sublime. I must resist the urge to take easy shots at it. 
Oh. He was so enchanted with this movie, he doesn't even want to make fun of Dennis Quaid's accent with us. <laughs> really like the special effects, I guess. Hmm. Yeah, that's that's interesting. He's sub, sublimo, sublimely silly. So the comedy <laughs> works for him. Uh, weird. Like I said, if if you... <laughs> If you were a kid, I could see maybe, this comedy Maybe Roger really Ebert landing. was 10 years old when he reviewed this movie. <laughs> I <don't> think. Roger <laughs> Ebert was never 10 years old. He just was always an old man. <laughs> just like Steve Martin <laughs> and Morgan Freeman. Just, they were always old men. Yep. Um, talk about the effects a little bit here. I was going to kind of... I didn't know if this was a success or a fail. Or I was going to save it for quick picks. Um, I liked the look of the dragon. I don't think... The compositing of putting the dragon into the movie worked. Does that make sense? So the compositing yeah. is sort of the way an effect or a creature fits into the world. So the way the Hulk fits into the Avengers, right? It, it fits. The lighting and the shadows and the depth. It looks like the Hulk is actually there in New York City. But this, the dragon just didn't feel connected to the world he was in for me. Yeah, he feels like he's flying in front of everything. Yeah. Yeah, so, but the look of the dragon, I gotta say, that is impressive. And ILM invented new technology where they um, they mapped photos of Sean Connery's face and video of Sean Connery talking to make the dragon's face move like Sean Connery's does a little bit. So the way mm-hmm. he emotes with his, you know, his eyebrows and his, his jawbone, mm-hmm. um, so yeah, so so they did do some kind of groundbreaking work in the dragon. Uh, probably a few more months they could have made that because I mean, the dinosaurs in Jurassic Park definitely feel like they are there in that world. Yeah. There's not that yeah. compositing problem there. So um, yeah, so uh, maybe a little more they could have thrown to the effects and really really connected it. Yeah, but we we did say before that we did think that like some of the I don't want to call them easier, but maybe maybe easier effects like some of the explosions and things like that looked pretty authentic and yeah all right so that's what roger ebert thought how about a rotten review here steve rhodes from internet reviews his rotten review he says the script in the direction drags a lot it gets way too wordy at times i also had a note about this um I felt like they were trying to do, I don't know, modern Shakespeare. <laughs> like there was definitely like they they were trying to rhyme a little bit, it felt like. Like there was a cadence. And maybe it was just again Dennis Quaid trying to do the accent. But it <laughs> felt like there was a cadence to the conversations that felt a little it wasn't ex, it wasn't iambic pentameter. Like it wasn't Shakespeare. But it felt like they were trying to be a little bit Shakespearean, maybe, in the way they talked. I didn't get that, but I mean, I guess maybe they, if, if it is true, then maybe they were trying to just capture the time a little bit. Like they're like, oh, well, we're not going to have them full on speak like old English because it'll just be confusing. But what if we can like do something in the middle? Arthurian? (laughs) Arthur. Ooh. Ooh. I also didn't love that everything was shouted. Like everything (laughs) was just... Every reaction was too big. Everything was shouted at each other. Things were loud back then. No, they weren't. Things the are much world. louder now. <laughs> I know. I'm just <laughs> kidding. 
Uh, Frederick and Mary Ann Brussert from Spirituality and Practice. They are Rotten Tomatoes reviewers. They, their fresh review, they said a morality tale with an unusual team of heroes. Hmm. Did you just like the idea of a dragon and an old knight teaming up? I mean, I like the idea that they both believed in something that seemingly didn't exist otherwise. Um, and obviously, it's a, it's a, I mean, again, these, these, we see it more now in kids' movies, really. But it seems to be an idea that works in some capacity where a human and a dragon team up to do various things like in uh, how to train your dragon. Like those have been successful, but obviously those are cartoons and they're meant for kids, you know? So um, yeah, I mean, I think I like the idea. I think, I think the concept has legs, six legs to be exact. (laughs) Uh, 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 uh. A dragon only has two legs. Is it are those other things arms or legs? Yeah, I don't really those are know. Arms, like a T Rex. Oh, is it like a T Rex? Yeah, I think it's like a T Rex, which is short okay. arms. I don't know. I don't know about the dragon anatomy that well. <laughs> well, I can tell you that the rest of the reviews, and there's a couple more rotten ones that basically say the same thing we've been saying. They, it's uh, too much of a family comedy for them, or too much yeah. geared towards children. So I think we pretty much covered that at this point. So. I think it's time for us to thank the Rotten Tomatoes reviewers for their service. Not that many to thank this time. Most of them just gave it a score. I don't know what happened this movie. Usually we're we're full of weird and wild quotes that sometimes make sense, sometimes are really strange. Uh, We don't get that with Dragonheart this week. So instead, we'll have to bring the weird and the strange with our sequel pitches. (laughs) Darren, let's take a break from reviewing this movie, and let's talk about what you would do to pitch a sequel. Now, there have been five <laughs> Dragonheart movies. There is a one, they're all directed DVD or direct to video. There's one sequel from 2000, which was Dragonheart A New Beginning. There was a, pre, the next three are prequels from 2015 Dragonheart 3, The Sorcerer's Curse, Dragonheart Battle for Heartfire in 2017, and in 2020, just last year, Dragonheart Vengeance, which had our first Ooh. female dragon voiced by uh helena bonham carter another harry potter alum yeah and so uh there's a lot of things that go on in these movies i'm not even going to tell you darren because i don't want to spoil your sequel i want to hear your (laughs) fresh sequel idea so darren if you were pitching a sequel to Dragonheart, what are you doing okay and i will admit that i know nothing about these sequels prequels whatever we're calling them uh, so mine is a prequel and it goes back to a time when a point in history when dragons and man were not friends as expected and they were fighting each other but they all abided by this code that was sort of like you know like um, if uh if the the head dragon were to get killed, they would everyone would stop fighting and be like, "That's enough fighting for today." And like they come back to battle again, you know, whenever. Um, like a, like an old Revolutionary War battle. Yeah, or? yeah, 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 yeah. And so, so I think a movie that has a lot of action 
and has some some characters you care about um could this could you know an opportunity to to really like hone in on a like an action-packed movie that has some depth about still about like a similar theme but we see it reflected more and then perhaps towards the end is when you start seeing these bad actors on both sides dragons and man who are like no these you know these rules are dumb like we're done with this like this is this you know they're taking advantage of us they're he's taking you know like there's arguments happening back and forth and so it ends with things looking quite sour and that's why it's a prequel leading into these other oh interesting man you went dark so basically the fall of the old code that's what you're yeah. pitching. Yeah, that's a good way. That's a good way to say it in a couple words. That's a dark movie, man. That's <laughs> oof. I'm leave that theater with some heavy hearts or that don't yeah, your couch because it's gonna be a directed DVD. <laughs> no, not this one. <laughs> All right. Nope, I, don't bring your kids. <laughs> I will pitch a a sequel. And uh, you know, uh, Draco thinks he's the last dragon and he he's left, he's gone to dragon heaven. But in nature, sometimes when an animal is being threatened over the course of, you know, hundreds of years, sometimes it, it'll change, right? It'll adapt. It'll become smaller in size sometimes to adapt to the changing environment. So obviously these huge dragons were pretty easy to kill. I mean, Bowen was having success killing them. The dragon hunters that the queen hires had horns all over their gear. So yeah. clearly these huge dragons were pretty easy to kill. It got to a point because man's technology got to the point where they could bring them down. So Draco thought he was the last dragon, but that's not true. We move forward a couple hundred years and the dragon, we're still kind of in medieval times. I don't want to be in modern day, but... Um, the dragons have actually shrunk in size and they're in hiding. They're deep in the woods, but they're about the size of like a hawk now. And uh, I want the story of a young girl who's with her father on like a hunting expedition deep in the woods. And uh, they find these dragons. They come across these dragons and some kingsmen. We got to have some evil doers here. So some kingsmen. <laughs> find them and uh they kill her father right maybe they're robbing them or something like that or they won't pay the toll for the road or something like that and so they kill her father but then the dragons come in and to help her and save her against these king's men and the king's men get away and this young girl kind of takes on the role of Kara. like i want her to lead a revolution by the end i want the dragons to like teach her and I want her to lead a revolution by the end to finally bring down this monarchy, to finally bring down the king and create uh, and bring dragons back into the world. So it'll be fun. So instead of this huge creature, now they're like these little spitfire, like little like. Um, Is their you, population thriving too? Yeah, there's a decent amount of them. There's okay. enough enough that when they they use their definitely use their numbers in battle now. So yeah, instead of yeah, one yeah. big one torching everything, it's going to be a bunch of these little ones just zipping and zagging between the, you know the nights spraying fire and uh yeah. So I think that'd be a fun. It'd be a new look at dragons that no one's it's always the huge dragon. Yeah. What would yeah, a yeah, little yeah. dragon be like? It'd be adorable is what it'd be. <laughs> That's right. I'm going the baby Yoda route here. 
We did have baby dragons in uh, in Game of Thrones. They just grow up to be huge. <laughs> yeah. Um. So yeah. So that's I like I like it. I can tell you just to fill Darren in, in case you're listening to this and you're like, I love Dragonheart when I was a kid, but I didn't know there were sequels. Um, Dragonheart: A New Beginning. It's another young boy finds a young dragon, and the dragon teaches him how to be a knight. Okay. Um, the the Dragonheart three, the Sorcerer's Curse. That's when looking at the trailers, that's when these started to look really good. They actually looked because 2015. You're are you already into Game of Thrones? Like the technology to I make so. movies is pretty advanced at this point. So the 2015, this one actually looked pretty good. The dragon okay. looked really good, um, and that's about a young. Uh, a young kid that finds a dragon out in the wild and they team up together to overthrow a king. Uh, Dragonheart Battle for the Heartfire is about two twins uh, that have the power of the dragon within them. So, like, the one girl can make fire and the one boy has the strength of the dragon. Ooh. And originally they're fighting each other, but eventually they turn and fight a common enemy. And then Dragonheart Vengeance is a little similar to my pitch. Um, uh, a young farmer... Lucas, uh, his village is raided and the dragon helps him on a quest uh, with a mercenary to take down these raiders, I guess. So mm. those are the, the and that, those are all prequels, by the way. Those last three are all prequels. They happen before Dragonheart. So dragons are roaming the countryside, I guess, back then. Yeah. All right. That's a lot of Dragonheart information <laughs> for you. <laughs> All right, Darren, it is time for Quick Picks. It's time for our nitpicks of the movie. It's time to pick out those last little details. What do you got for me in Quick Picks? Uh, my first one was I liked that um, Einan. So there is a jump, right? After after he's healed by the dragon, we do. Believe, there's believe 12 years. Yeah. But before we hit that 12 years there's a little bit that happens it's like a couple maybe maybe just one scene or a couple scenes oh right the rock quarry scene yeah 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 but it seems like he has already already forgotten the code he's already like you feel like it's been 5 minutes and he's already like no fuck that code that's that's not for me yeah i i think that was the point that he was evil all along and the dragon thought his heart would change that, and yeah. no, it just it, it was just, just made so it funny because like it was just like a meet like you know there was no like pondering or like oh he was good for a little while but then it switched <laughs> just like immediate. <laughs> All right, so my first one isn't even an it's not even a quick pick of the movie. It's a quick pick of myself. I I literally looked down at my notes when we started recording. And I subconsciously wrote Randy Quaid instead of Dennis Quaid. <laughs> <laughs> I just thought that was funny. That would have been a different movie. <laughs> <laughs> My next one is, I think it's pretty hard to write legibly while riding a donkey. Don't you? Don't you think that'd be difficult? Yeah. The priest? <laughs> he's, he's like writing, writing his manifesto or whatever the hell he's writing while he's riding a donkey and it just seems like your pen would be all over the place yeah it's hard enough like do you remember when you used to do like homework in the car yeah <laughs> like on yeah. a road trip or something <laughs> yeah 
Um, I thought that hiding the dragon at the beginning of the movie was smart. Like we hear Sean Connery's voice. We see enough to know that there's a dragon there. But I do like, like, if you're a movie, wait to reveal that dragon so you can have this big, bold, huge reveal of it taking off in flight. Uh, So I thought that was smart. I thought that was a smart play to hide the dragon at the beginning of the movie. See, they're not all nitpicks. They're not all nitpicks. They could be positive. Um, I didn't like, on the opposite side of that, I didn't like that they didn't show at all the fighting between Bowen and the dragon he takes down earlier on in the movie. It all happens like behind a hillside. You didn't enjoy brother Gilbert narrating the whole thing. No, no. And then it like the sound effects they used like sounded like two, two grown men, like punching each other in like a, I don't know in like a kitchen because there was like a lot of like dung and ding and dong. <laughs> that's the Leslie Nielsen part of it. Like that's, that's what happened in a Leslie Nielsen movie. You'd punch someone and it would sound like a frying pan. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So I didn't, I didn't, yeah, that bugged me. I was like, and also if you're fighting a dragon, I feel like a lot of the fighting is going to happen in the air. It's a dragon. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Uh, speaking of the dragon flying, um, you don't have to point out which way the dragon went. It's a dragon. <laughs> You're going to see it. You're never going to look up in the sky and go, wait, which way did it go? <laughs> yeah, that's true. And it does. It happens a couple times. Yeah. Where they're like, what? wait, where? Are you? which way did he go? I don't know. Just look up. <laughs> Do you think all dragons speak English or you think Draco is multilingual? That's interesting. Well, we never got confirmation. Is he the only dragon that speaks? Do the other yeah. dragons talk? I don't know. It's a good question. Yeah, I can I tell know. you in the sequels and the prequels, there's all voice actors attached to all of them. So okay. they yeah. do speak in all Dragonheart movies. I believe uh, Patrick Stewart does the voice in three Dragonheart mm. three. Mm. Yeah, that, that's an interesting question. Or does he? Well, he speaks the universal. He speaks the dragon tongue. He has his own tongue because he says he, he couldn't does. even pronounce his name. Yeah. Darren, did you notice that the music didn't stop for the first thirty minutes of this movie? <laughs> I literally paused when the music finally stopped, and there was an honest moment of dialogue. It might have been the stalemate when he was in the dragon's mouth, or like that first campfire scene. Mm. The music finally stopped, and I paused it. And I was like thirty minutes on the dot. Was really like it did not stop at all for the whole thirty minutes. Yeah, I wow. don't think it stops for the first thirty that. minutes of the movie. It just <laughs> kept going, and people liked the music. Like it was a decent soundtrack. Yeah, but um, yeah, it, you need to stop for a minute and breathe and have a conversation. Yeah, fair. Anytime that Draco was like tied up with rope or like caught in something that was rope can you just burn it just burn the rope yeah you can probably burn through those chains too <laughs> probably maybe maybe harder to do that if they're like i don't know really thick or something but it's a rope you can breathe fire yeah dragons should never have a, pro- a problem they can literally breathe fire <laughs> there's nobody that should be able to fight a dragon 
All right. Speaking of the dragon, I, this is my last one, and it's actually a positive one. Did you notice that the, when they're fooling the villagers, and the first time, and he shoots that big, what is that? What are those, whatever those giant arrows are called. I know there's a term for it. Um, and he catches it, and he does his little tumble. Do you notice as he's falling in the lake? Right before he hits the lake, he goes into a perfect dive. Yeah. <laughs> he dives into the lake. I like that. That was fun. He dies with style. Yes, he does. Draco has style. All right. Last quick pick. Hit me, Darren. I thought that, uh, is it? I don't know if he's Brock or Brooke. I think it's Brock, played by Brian Thompson, who we mentioned earlier. Yep. A- at the end, when he's fighting Kara, and he has his little chainmail hat situation, right? And I think it's because of the goatee. He looks like a younger version of the knight who was guarding the Holy Grail in Indiana Jones. <laughs> in the Last Crusade, deep cut. I was like, I was like, he's going to grow old and protect the Holy Grail. <laughs> <laughs> but then Kara killed him, I think. And so it, didn't, it wasn't, you know. It would be funny if you could like, if there was a thread that went through all old medieval movies that like connected every night. <laughs> All right, Darren, that does it for Quick Picks. I don't have a lesson this week. My lesson was actually going to be about the old Pentecostal oath of King Arthur, Mm -hmm. uh, which we already got to. There is a little bit of trivia here I got for you. Um, A lot of shoulda, woulda, coulda when it comes to the casting. Uh, Dennis Quaid broke a finger in his duel with David Thewlis and spent the last two weeks of the shoot in a plaster cast. Oh. Yeah, things got intense. Probably got um, hit, hit on the on the hand on the holding the handle of the of the sword or something like that. Maybe it was because of his technique. Because director Rob Cohen and Dennis Quaid both wanted a little bit of Oriental style swordsmanship in his sword fighting. They got Kiyoshi Yamasaki to train him. Yeah, sounds fancy. There's a detail for you. Um, Robin Williams was apparently offered the role of Bowen, but he was more interested in voicing the dragon. That would have been a whole different movie. (laughs) Of course. Um, Who else? They had a list of the other. Oh, Kenneth Kenneth Branagh was actually like involved, but he wanted to direct and star in the movie as Bowen. And they're like, Mm. yeah, we maybe not. (laughs) (laughs) They moved on from Kenneth Branagh. Um, Who are the other actors here? And that's that's like what Kenneth Branagh always does. Right. That's his thing. Oh, yeah, that's his thing. He loves it. Uh, So after Liam Neeson was rejected for the role, they offered it to uh, Gabriel Byrne. I don't even know who that is. Pierce Brosnan was offered. Tom Hanks, Kevin Bacon, Harrison Ford, Mel Gibson, Arnold Schwarzenegger, and Patrick Swayze was director Cohen's first choice before Dennis Quaid accepted the role. Do you see Patrick Swayze doing this? Maybe. I mean, he could do action. You think Swayze could do a British knight? Uh, yeah, I don't know. I mean, can you imagine Arnold Schwarzenegger? <laughs> but he's got the, he's got the broad. <laughs> yeah. We have to stick to the old code. <laughs> Get to the dragon. <laughs> oh, man. He's got the muscles for it. 
Yeah, you wouldn't wear chain mail. It would just be biceps poking out <laughs> of like a chest plate. All right, Darren, uh, that does it for our trivia. It is time. It is time for us to wrap up this podcast and decide once and for all, Dragonheart, is it a good movie? Is it a bad movie? What do you say? So in the end, despite several negatives, I actually said this is a good movie. I agree that Dennis Quaid was not great, <laughs> but uh, I I thought there was enough uh, substance, and I thought the action was was good enough that uh, it was a good movie. I think I might have been a little disappointed if I had paid like movie theater prices to go see it, but. I still am putting it in my narrowly, narrowly putting it in my good movie bin. So you're you're bumping up to like a fifty-one percent. That's right. <laughs> you're just yep. just getting it over that line. Just getting it right. No, so that it can't be fifty-one. Well, for us, yeah, it'd be a sixty-one percent. Sixty-one. I am gonna say. I could not get over Dennis Quaid in the lead of this movie. I am saying this is a bad movie for me it just felt too hollow the characters the sets the or the the locations that they picked everything just it felt too hollow and just it didn't feel dark enough and serious enough and i get this i completely get if i'm a kid if i'm like eight years old in 1996 and i sit down and watch this movie i could absolutely fall in love with this movie There are plenty of movies from my childhood that I'm not proud of that I love. And uh, yeah, I just, this is, it's just not a good movie. There, there were, there was ideas here. There were good ideas here and there was a decent third act, but overall I just, the shouting at each other and the slapstickiness, I just couldn't, I couldn't give it a good movie. I respect your opinion. All right, Darren, that does it for, (laughs) I respect your opinion too. (laughs) Thanks. All right, Darren, that does it for Dragonheart. That wraps up this. We are going in a completely different direction next week. We have another movie coming out. Uh, it may not be coming out in theaters, but I think it uh, is coming out on... Uh, they're pushing forward with it. It's the movie Cherry starring Tom Holland and... We decided, I mean, Tom Holland doesn't have a huge uh, portfolio of movies. He doesn't, Tom Holland is very young still. He does not have a long IMDb list, but he does have a movie that came out in 2016 that is also a perfect 50% on Rotten Tomatoes, another perfect meth movie. And I believe it's the role he got right before he did, right before he became Spider-Man, our current Spider-Man. It's called The Edge of Winter, and it's sort of a psychological cabin-in-the-woods type movie starring Tom Holland, also starring Joel Kinnaman, who you might recognize from, I think, Suicide Squad and a few other things. We'll get into it next week. Right now, it's still free on Crackle. So I always try to tell you where you can find our movies for free. Right now, it's free on Crackle, but me and Darren have learned hard in this season three that something seems free on Crackle, and then it's gone like a day later. So, Edge of Winter, 
check it out. It is the movie we are going to be doing next week in honor of young Tom Holland having a big movie like Cherry coming to theaters. So, thanks for listening, everybody. Thanks for supporting the show. Please subscribe, rate, and review the show on whatever podcasting app you are listening on. You can follow us on Twitter at NoMehMovies. You can follow me on Twitter at Davey Barris. Tell your friends about the show. If you enjoy mine and Darren's conversations, if you like hearing deep dives into movies and older movies and nostalgic movies, tell someone someone about the show. Tell a friend about the show. Help grow the No Meth Movie Podcast. So thanks again, everyone. And the next time your friends ask about a movie, take a stance and tell them if the movie is good or bad. Because on this show, there are no meh movies. Meh movies.